Welcome to the other side of hell from Breakdown to Breakthrough podcast. This is your host, Mark Musselman. Today, I'm speaking with Todd Musselman. Todd, first and foremost, is my oldest brother. There are five siblings in my family. Our sister is the oldest, followed by four boys, and Todd is the oldest of those four. I sit in the second to the youngest position, so that kind of gives you a context of where we stand. Uh, beyond that, Todd is a phenomenal award-winning speaker. He is an incredibly talented singer-songwriter, musician, athlete, you know, father, husband, got three kids, a couple live up in Bozeman, Montana, one lives here in Denver, Colorado. Uh, Todd, like most of us who've lived long enough, have come across the thing or two in life that have brought him to his knees. We all can identify with that. Sort of that proverbial sense of hell on earth. So we're going to spend some time in this podcast talking about one of those stories. Our conversation promises to be real and raw, and ideally there'll be something relevant for you in the audience that you can glean from the conversation that can be passed along, whether you're heading into, in the midst of, or just coming out of an experience, one that was an event that caused you to go to your knees or one that you've caused yourself. Regardless, that experience remains consistent. So now I bring to you the conversation with Todd Musselman. I'm here with Todd today and welcome Todd to the podcast for the, as you know, the first um, of what I hope to be many of these. And it's amazing to have you here. And I feel insanely blessed that A, you're my first guest and that you're my brother and that we've walked side by side in this kind of a conversation for probably about 20 plus years. So welcome. Yeah. Well, thanks for uh, having me, buddy. I love it. And your first guest, I'm honored, and yeah, we'll dive in. Yeah. So with that, you know, as I sort of said in the preface there, we've all had these experiences. You know, you and I have been around long enough to know that there are things that when we're coming through life, the the circumstance, either something that's an external circumstance that comes along and has us going from kind of moving our life forward to all of a sudden going straight down, right? Straight down yeah. to metaphorically what some people would call the pit or, you know, um, the tunnel, whatever it is, a place of darkness. And then we reside in that place for a while. And then eventually through some means climb our way out of that and then get moving forward again. Yeah. So that's the nature of it. It's all about resilience. So, you yeah. know, living as long as you have not to put too many years on your life, but like, if you were to think about a seminal experience that you want to share and that we want to get into to benefit you know, the audience, what would it be? Well, I, you know, uh, to your point, Mark, if you live long enough, um, I'm going to borrow a phrase from a common training that we've been through life will life you. <clears throat> yeah. And I've been lifed good, bad or otherwise several times in my life. I was trying to decide, you know, which which story to bring forth for the greatest value. And, you know, I think for me, I, I want to go all the way back to when I was 24 because it was a pretty profoundly life-changing event for me um so you know when i was 24 uh i had a pretty amazing week in my life in may of whatever that was 1996 uh, uh on a monday <clears throat> i got an invitation to play for the u.s rugby team which was kind of a life-fulfilling dream of mine maybe not rugby but i was pretty hell-bent on being a some kind of a professional athlete of, of sorts and Though I'd still be an amateur, it would have certainly tickled 
that, that itch. And then on Friday, that same week, I graduated from college, which was yeah. a miracle. Yeah, <laughs> it really was a miracle. And, you know, on Saturday, that same week, all this happened the same week I was, I was playing rugby um, in Denver, getting ready to go to San Francisco on the following Monday to start my whole journey. And I was running down the sidelines and I planted my left foot. And just when I planted a guy about 280 pounds hit my shin and my foot stayed and my ankle dislocated and I severed both arteries internally. And, and basically in one second, my whole life changed. I, I was, I went from an a athlete to a non-athlete in exactly one second. And, um, so then, you know, you know, I woke up after emergency surgery in the hospital and after all the drugs had cleared, I, I remember having two very distinct thoughts right away. And uh, those two thoughts might sound familiar to some of this folks on this call. And my two thoughts were, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me and life isn't fair. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I don't know if you've ever had those thoughts, but I, you know, good, bad, or otherwise they visited me a few times in my life. That was the first time I really can remember it believing those two thoughts, it's the worst thing in life isn't fair. And, you know, out of that belief system, um, I went to what I call the victim mindset. You know, I hadn't really been in that mindset much in my life, but, you know, after all that happened and my, my dream was derailed, I, I became a pretty good victim. Um, I, I was staying in the sanctity of mom and dad's house. And, uh, you know, mom in particular was incredibly nurturing as you, you might re remember her being, and she's so amazing. And, you know, at first she was very, very, you know, forgiving of my kind of my mindset and, um, and she, she, she put up with a lot of my complaining, my pity party, but I, I don't know, I don't know what happened, but after about probably right about two weeks, she had enough. Yeah. And, uh, mom came in and, and she changed my life as only moms can. So do you and, remember in that moment, you know, two weeks into it, a, what has she grown tired of? And B, what do you recall her having said? Well, I think she just grew tired of the pity party and me feeling sorry for myself and woe is me. And so she came in. I just hung up the phone with one of my victim's friends. What I haven't told you is, you know, you typically when you go to that mindset, you, you, you can form a victim's club. But they're, they're really uplifting. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I had a couple people on in my little circle that were also suffering and so we had a nice victims club going anyway i hung up the phone with one of my my new victim friends and uh mom <laughs> came in and and this is what she said uh she looked at me she said todd you know I'm, I'm so devastated by what's happened to you you know i know how hard you worked for all this and you know i, I know this is your dream and, and and you know but here's the thing todd every time you got on that field you knew this could happen yeah for and, sure you know, I, I played college football, got injured out of playing college football. I'd actually been injured quite a lot in my, my young athletic career. And, and, and so she was right. I mean, I knew it. And, uh, and so then she said, so maybe it's about time, Todd, you accept what happened and figure out what you're going to do with the rest of your life. Yeah. Wow. That's you know, a... it, it, back in the day, if, the, if, if there was a mic drop, she would have dropped the mic and walked <laughs> off. <laughs> but man, did that piss me off. Yeah, I was so pissed. I'm pissed like, at what though? What what was it about? Pissed, what you said I thought I was pissed at her. I thought yeah. I was mad at her, but yeah. I, you know, as I look back, obviously, it was I was mad at myself for allowing myself to go down this road of self pity. And anyway, so and my initial reaction was was anger, and then 
even in that same day, as, as the day wore on, I, I started to kind of look at what mom was calling us, calling me to see, which, which was that I was a hundred percent responsible for that injury. And in many ways, mom was really calling me to see I was a hundred percent responsible for my life and everything in it. And I mean, everything in it. And yeah. Yeah. And so, so, so can I ask yeah. you a question in that? So at yeah. that time, I mean, you're, you said what you're 24 roughly. Yeah. 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 So 24, you have identified yourself as an athlete, not just an athlete, but a high performance athlete, because, yeah. you know, yeah. call a thing a thing, you don't end up, you know, playing yeah. uh, football yeah. in college, you don't end up being invited to the U.S. Eagle rugby, you know, yeah. I guess tryouts or whatever the team without having some high performance, you know, capability. So lots and lots and lots of young, egoic, you know, me centered energy all focused on this identity as an athlete. And then, as you said, in a moment, like in a fleeting moment, you went from that to somebody who um, had a an athletic ending injury. I mean, as, as you identified yourself, the point beyond that injury, you would not ever return to the level of athlete you were before. And so then you're laid up, you're in bed, you're there a couple of weeks, you know, you're, you're feeling the full weight of this sense of I no longer can live into and up to the identity. You didn't maybe know that at the time, but I get how maybe the surgeon told you that maybe you got feedback from somebody as you were coming through that initial point of recovery um, and, and being, and then having somebody come along and interrupt the pattern, right. And say something to you that sounds like when you just shared it, that it was like almost being slapped in the face. Like, you know, um, we could say, wake the hell up, right? Like smack. And then you find yourself looking at that, right? So you're in that moment, you hear this feedback, you know, and you probably at 24 didn't have the awareness that you do now looking back at it. So, you know, spend another minute or two in, in, you know, in that place, if you would, um, just to kind of ground some of the other feelings and emotions, you know, that you were experiencing in those first couple of weeks that, you know, when we, let's just say you were ascending in life, you descended, you know, now you're there, you can't move, you've got surgery. What were some other things going on in your head other than feeling like you were a victim, which is probably today's language reflecting back on a 24 year old. But in that moment, what were you feeling? Uh, lost. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I, I, you know, I, my whole identity at some level was an athlete. And so I mean, I, if I'm being, I mean, I, it's, you know, it's a long time ago, but I do remember having the thought, well, who am I without that? Yeah. And who, who am I going to be without that? What am I going to be without that? I, I mean, I did, it's just, it was pretty confronting, pretty sobering, pretty humbling. Well, not pretty humbling, incredibly humbling. And, you know, so yeah, that's where the despair came from. I didn't really have an identity outside of, I was this guy, the athlete, you know, yeah. And so then there was the opportunity to reinvent myself, obviously. Right. So if we can stay with that, that, that thing that, you know, who am yeah. I without, right? So, yeah. you know, you and I both have a, an adult professional career that works with people, yeah. right? Um, yes. Both yeah. as a speaker, as a trainer, as a, a leadership, coach. whatever, a coach, et cetera, you name it. Yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, touching on this particular phrase, you know, who would I be without? Yeah. I think, I think that sense of lost identity mm. That is the, in, in many cases, is the sort of the catalyst into that 
feeling of hopelessness and, you know, again, just searching and not having anything. It looks like you're in a dark room. And I think about it through the lens of like people that I know that, you know, who've been through other things, divorce, you know, loss of a business that we could speak to intimately, you know, any number of things. It could be a health related thing. That's not an injury, but something that is more disease oriented. That wasn't something, you know, you actually chose into, like right. you, you made a choice to play rugby and then all of a sudden right. it ended. So, you know, that, that piece of who would I be, who am I without the identity of yeah. athlete? Who am I without the identity of, let's just say father or, or, yeah. you know, yes. a, a parent. And then all of a sudden you go through a divorce and now everything you had identified gets completely rewritten. So you're yeah. in that space. Somebody else comes along. This isn't sourced on your own. You're saying that, you know, mom walked in, slapped you across the face challenged you to consider what the heck was going on and why yeah. you were choosing to remain stuck. And as you've said, like this victim orientation, which, you know, we can talk a little bit about the victim owner distinction and how that plays into this whole thing of resilience and getting yourself out. Yeah. But you're there, you get slapped, you're, you know, spending the rest of the day, you're starting to think about this. And then let's, let's pick up the story back where that is. And kind of how did you get out of what was it you accessed at 24, not at your current age and not yeah. what you do professionally. But in that point, do you remember what you accessed or sourced to help you move out of that space? Well, I mean, for me, you know, <clears throat> the, the, the phrase awareness is the first point of choice comes to mind right there. Yeah. And I, I would love to tell you, I created my own awareness. I didn't mom created an awareness for me. And then I chose into the awareness. So the awareness was, yeah. you got to, dude, you got to accept this is what, what it is and figure out what you're going to do the rest of your life. It was profoundly simple and also very confronting. So, you know, I, as I said, I initially was very uh, angry at mom, which was obviously an angry at myself, but she was the perfect projector. Right. And then <clears throat> as the day wore on though, I started to think, you know, really see what she was, you know, saying to me and, and, really owning it, taking ownership of, of my situation. Um, I went to bed that night feeling a little better and I woke up in the morning and I felt a lot better. And I remember having the thought, you know, I'm going to get out of this damn bedroom. I hadn't left the bedroom, not, not the house, the bedroom in like two weeks. I was yeah. not ambulatory and I, you know, but <clears throat> there was a, a, there was a closet and uh, I remember crawling over to it to get a shirt. I was going to meet a couple of buddies for lunch and I was really excited. And I, I don't think I ever found that shirt, but at the back of the closet was this thing that I played for three or four months when I was 12 and roughly picked it up a couple of times when I was a little older, but I never committed to, it was a guitar. And so I'm like, huh. And, and so I pulled it out of the closet, you know, and, I, I remembered enough to, to start going and, 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 you know, I had a long time to play that guitar. I was on crutches for nine months. So that's a yeah. pretty long time. <clears throat> and, you know, I started playing and, you know, I'd love to tell you that my, my learning curve was nice and steady, but I had many plateaus along the way. I wanted to quit several times and I, and I, and I kept going and, um, you know, as I look back on those nine months, <clears throat> easily one of the most seminal moments, nine months of my life. I, I, I'm so 
grateful for those nine months and, and what I got from it. And um, <clears throat> at about the nine month mark, I started, you know, I started being able to walk around a little bit and, uh, and I moved, you know, I was in, a, in my own house at that time. And, and then, and then comfort showed up mm. and uh, held me back once again. I, you know, um, what I mean by that is uh, about a year into that experience, I had the thought, man, I think I might be able to play this in, out in the bars. I, I think I, I might be able to pull this off, but the fear of not being good enough held me back. Yes. So, You're talking about when you've made this pivot. Now you got a guitar. Now you've. Yeah, now I'm getting better. And I have, you know, I've decided maybe I've always thought about playing out in the bars. It's always been a dream of mine, even though I, I, I'd let it go because I never really picked it up. But then here I am. And I'm like, well, I think I could do this, but, but I wasn't willing to push through the fear. Um, yeah comfort showed up and you know i i i used to be intoxicated by comfort I, i'm not such a big fan anymore but i've let comfort get in the way a lot in my life for sure yeah and, and every time i've let comfort get in the way i've played small and i've usually chosen out of taking an action that could propel me forward that was the first time i can look back and really think well yeah i played pretty small for about a year. So for the next year, I, I was, you know, playing, nobody knew I was playing. And um, I didn't tell anybody I was playing. I was just playing my mom and dad. I think maybe you may have known I was playing a little bit, but I don't think anybody really knew because I was progressing. And then, <clears throat> and then about, yeah, about a year after that, I, I went to New Zealand to pursue my other passion, which is fly fishing. And <laughs> you never know when these moments are going to happen, but I was in a backcountry hut in New Zealand and, uh, it's a tiny little hut. I think there was eight other people in the hut from all over the world, you know. Uh, and but more importantly, there was a guitar in the hut. And, and good, bad, or otherwise, most importantly, there was beer in the hut. Yeah, <laughs> which so, can help. Yeah, with courage. Oh, so, sure. couple beers in, and liquid courage showed up, <clears throat> and I played my first live song, and it changed my life. Yeah. The thing about athletics that I love so much is when I was on the field, I was so connected to my spirit. I was so present when I was on the field. And, you know, I, I, after I lost that outlet, I, I, I don't I thought I'll never find that again in my life. I'll never find that connection to my spirit like I felt like I was on the field. And and then I played my first live song. And I'm like, holy cow, this this is every bit as good, maybe even more powerful than when I was, you know, on the field. And, and so I had this experience. I think I played three songs that night. It was incredible. Then I, I, I played the rest of my, you know, couple months through New Zealand. Um, and I got back uh, from New Zealand and, and, and to Denver and I, and I put an ad in the paper in, in our Westward paper for a keyboardist and guy answered my ad and we, we got together, started playing. And, and then we added another, player we got a, a guitar player and then a drummer and then all kinds of and you know we sucked for a long time um but but we got better and and so our little band you know we, we kept getting better get added better people and uh, about two years after i got back from new zealand <clears throat> i had another profound moment i was standing on a stage in vale colorado in a in their amphitheater up there and our little band was playing for about a thousand people that day 
And, and I remember having the very clear thought, you know, that, that whole thing with my ankle, it might not have been the worst thing that ever happened. It might've been the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great reflection to shift it, to pivot and to recognize that the thing in the moment that feels like it's, you know, the hell on earth, the taking us to yes. our knees, there's no way forward. Who am I without, yeah. you know, all those things. And, 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 you know, you touched upon a great, thank you for sharing all that again with me yeah. and yeah, the yeah. audience. You know, the, the piece that I, there were two things. One is reinvention, right? That yeah. sense that when you lose the identity that you had going into a circumstance, like the one you just shared in your story, you have to be, ha you have to have the capacity to reinvent yourself. And then yeah. the sense of resilience, like what is it that, you know, you draw upon yeah. that has you believing that life will return at some point in time, not to what it was before, but in this case, maybe, maybe even something, you know, albeit better than before, you know, or, or different, but still very, very um, positive and moving my life forward and contributing, et cetera, and feeling that sense of connection to spirit. So two things in there, reinvention and resilience. I'm curious, as you go from 24 to where you are chronologically now, and then sticking with this theme of, you know, resilience and reinvention, what have you known about yourself taking that example and then applying it at other points along your journey to where you are now? Like, where, where does that... Um, same resource. I always call it the toolkit for life, right? So you have these tools in your box that are, you know, now more robust because you've lived longer and encountered more things. But what other examples or circumstances have you encountered where you've reached in and had the opportunity to apply those same kind of lessons? Well, you know, it, it's interesting because since you told me we're going <clears> to <throat> talk about this, I had a good chance to enter, you know, kind of go through the four or five events that I would say are seminal events in my life, you know, life altering events, change, whatever you want to call that. And what I noticed is I look back ironically, and I just had a life changing event. As you know, I had cancer two and a half years ago that took my left upper left arm from, you know, but again, so what I noticed is it, I'd say I've had five and each time the gap is smaller between breakdown and breakthrough yeah uh, you know the first one was probably two years before i actually had a breakthrough the second one happened when i was 29 um doesn't matter what happened but some major upset in a relationship i was in breakdown breakthrough that one took about six months to get you know on the other side of then we had the bankruptcy that was a that one took about six months probably you know that was a hard one um, my son's, uh, depression. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't do very well in that one. It took me a long yeah. time to get on the other side of that one. Yeah. Um, and then, and then the cancer, but you know, the cancer took me about three months to get on the other side and, and, and provide the breakthrough. So generally speaking, with the exception of my son's, uh, challenge, which really wasn't my challenge, but it was my challenge. Uh, my heart was broken all the time. So, I don't know. I, maybe it's a little different, but um, the things that have happened to me, like right. to me, I've shortened the gap. So that's yeah. that's from breakdown to breakthrough, yeah. through awareness, through choices, through experience, life. Just knowing that it's not going to be the end. You know that that 
young 24 year old when he thought this is the worst thing that's ever going to happen. I mean, I, I really believed it at that time. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You don't know any, you don't know any different. Right. Um, and I'm guessing at 24, that was probably the first confrontation with something as significant as you. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. That took you from, you know, a life of you know, things that worked and you yes. being, you know, uh, all ego driven, which we are when yep. we're in that phase of our life to yep. all of a sudden, you know, a massive breakdown that you, yeah. you can't control. And, you know, I, I love that. And all that is exactly the purpose and the intention of this conversation that, you know, you stepped into with me today. And, and, you know, one of the things that I, I often have heard, which is things that, you know, not happening to me, but for me, right. Everything that you said and, and the speed of recovery and, and, and the increased level of sort of resilience as they kind of compound, like from one experience to the next, now you're twice as resilient and then three times, yeah. as resilient, et cetera. I don't think it's mathematical or anything. You know, I think it's just, this this it's compounding it, you know, it's like interest. And, and so as you think about these circumstances, one of the shifts that I encourage, you know, people that I'm working with to consider, and I'm sure you do as well, is that it's not happening to me. It's actually happening for me, but we can't often see that until we're on the other side of it, right? The other, yeah, the other no, side of hell, yeah. The distinction that you know that I work inside of is the distinction between getting through things and getting from things. Yeah which is the same exact distinction. So, you know, in the victim mindset, we get through our life, we get through our day, the teen, you know, all that. And in the ownership mindset, we get from our life. We get, yeah. we, we suck the marrow from life. We use it for our growth and our expansion and our upliftment. Um, victims use their experiences for their suffering. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I, when life does life us, I, I've yet to meet a person whose initial reaction isn't to get through it. I've never met the person that just instantly gets from it. <laughs> I don't care how much awareness you have, yeah. how, how, how trained you are in all this. I mean, I, got, I had cancer two and a half years ago. I've been doing this work a long time, but it, it knocked me down hard. Um, I, I just didn't see it coming. <clears throat> and, and, you know, it took me three months to through some, <laughs> some through another slap in the face by my wife, like, dude, okay she actually literally said don't you do something about getting from things yeah and i'm like oh you (laughs) but she woke me up i'd I'd spent so much time in fear around my cancer and then she really challenged me to see what could i get from my cancer yeah instead of getting through it and and it was a profound life-changing event for me to to really slow down and all right I'm not grateful that I got cancer, but I'm grateful for what I've gotten from cancer. Yeah, sure. That's a great distinction to also be clear about because nobody I think is grateful to cancer. It's like my son's depression. You know, I'm not grateful that my son had depression. I'm grateful for what I got from his depression. Yeah, sure. Mostly humility. But, um, you know, yeah. So, you know, as I look back, I think one of the things that I would say from my own experience is that it's going to sound maybe even trite, but action is always the way out of the victim side. Yeah. And the sure. more the uncomfortable the action, the better the result. I mean, in my mind, you know, when I'm like you, when I'm coaching people, if they find themselves stuck or whatever, the, I, I think the most powerful question you're going to ask them is what action could you take? Could, could it be exercise? Could it be whatever that is to unstuck you? Man, action is such a powerful, uh, you know, uh, motivator and, and right. Uh, which yeah. is which is really what 
mom was saying to you when you 100%. were, you know, in your pathetic yes. state sitting on the bed for two weeks. And Beth said to you when she saw yes. you open around the house, you know, yes, and, and totally. just, 100%. You know, yeah. So if you're, if you're a man listening to this podcast, just to keep in mind that one of the lessons is that, you know, behind every breakdown, hopefully you have the gift of a strong woman who slaps you across the face, wakes you up and, and gets you back moving in life, which is a whole other topic that we could get into, oh, yeah. um, you know, and I don't mean that to just limit itself, wow. but having somebody in your life who loves you enough yeah. to see that you're stuck yeah, and to confront you with a question or even an awareness that like, listen, like this can't go on. No. There's something you've got to access to move you upward and forward out of this pit. So, um, you know, one other thing about my ankle story, you know, <clears throat> so there's this old saying that when one door closes, another one opens, right? Yeah. Which is awesome, except they leave out the most important part. You got to walk through the damn door. Yeah, sure. They yeah. never tell you that part. Honestly, they just... <laughs> about a door but they never say the most important part you gotta walk through the damn door right yeah you know yeah, look, look looking at the door sitting there open and not walking through it or two total i mean that's yeah you're totally right i well you know in, in you know in my experience not not that it mattered buddy but probably lots of people on this call including you and me we have a door that's wide open to us right now yeah that if we walk through it it would fundamentally shift our life in a very positive way yeah. Well, I, I think about just the launching of this podcast being yeah. that door for me, proverbially, right? Like, um, I love this kind of conversation. I, yeah. I would say I traffic in this kind of conversation with family, with friends, as you yeah. do with clients. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, my hope with this, you know, and I, I just say this overtly is that somewhere in the span of the time we're sharing this conversation, somebody who's on the outside listening can access something that helps them as you and I've talked about hundreds of times, if only one person, you know, if, if this has an impact on one person and it may not, I have no idea and I'm not attached to it, but if it did, that would be worth every single possible second that you and I have put into this particular recording and this conversation as it would be for the next. So, you know, um, I, I would like to, if you don't mind, kind of wrap up this conversation with, a request of, of you, which is, you know, as you stand where you are chronologically in your life right now, and you look back, if there's any one piece of advice you would offer somebody who's either heading into in the midst of, or just on the other side of, you know, something that feels like hell on earth, like they're in the midst of it, the breakdown, and they haven't yet accessed the breakthrough. What advice would you offer a person in that circumstance? I, I, I come back to what I already said. I would ask myself, what action could I take? What, what could get me going? You know, yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many things I could say about what action. I, I, not that I, I don't want to pontificate about the value of exercise, but of all the actions I could take when I'm broken down, I think that would probably be the most important one. Like, I don't. I don't care if I feel like exercising, uh, uh, you know, yeah. it doesn't require me to feel like exercising to actually do it, but man, can it, it just has so many positive effects. So I, I, I don't, I mean, that that's just one action you could take, but that's the simplest one. And, and it doesn't require any like 
major awarenesses. I just get on the damn bike and I start pedaling and watch what happens. Yeah. Literally. I love that advice. And, and I I'll share, you know, you are intimately familiar with the band story and, you know, I, when I was in the throes of it, I went and saw a brilliant psychiatrist named Dr. John McGovern, who, you know, in all the things he could have done a, a, in an effort to help me move my life forward, which would include obviously pharmacology and anything else. He said, there's only two things, Mark, that I think I want to have you commit to, not to me, but to yourself that you do every day to get yourself back in a, a state of mental health that can allow you to walk back in the building and continue to move forward. Find no less than 10 minutes to move your body vigorously every single day, because in the movement of your body vigorously, you're going to move energy and, and, and it's never not going to be beneficial. And the second thing he said, which I've passed this wisdom on to hundreds of people is to get a blank tablet of paper. And before you go to bed at night, dump the contents of your brain yeah. onto that paper just to clear your mind. So that's right. another thing that as a yes. tool, if you're looking for a takeaway. Here's two. Todd mentioned exercise. Yeah. I would a hundred percent, you know, stand behind that as well. And it doesn't have to be a lot. No, it doesn't, it doesn't no. have to be like a 30 minute. It can be like, just go jumping jacks, just go push ups, just go, you know, walk around the block, whatever it is, but move your body. He said to the point where you're breaking a sweat, which I loved because that yes. meant in a different part of your body. Yeah. And then clearing your brain because our brains are so um, sort of, you know, they, they can be the, the gift and the evil empire all in one. So yeah, I really appreciate that unbelievably simple and salient and loving advice. And, uh, you know, I just want to thank you. It's been an, an unbelievable gift. I mean, to spend a lifetime wow. with you as my brother and to have this opportunity to have this first of what I hope to be hundreds of conversations. Um, I, I, I feel be blessed beyond blessings and I love you. You know that. And this podcast is about love and connection and, and all the things. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Anything as a final word you'd want to say? Yeah. I want to, share something that Steve Chandler, my coach shared with me, which I, I remember there was a thought that for me, if, if we lose this business, I won't be able to handle it. I remember actually literally thinking that if we lose the business, I won't be able to handle it. And Steve said to me, Todd, you know, there's almost no absolute truth in the human experience, but here's an absolute truth. You can hang your hat on this one and tell your dead you'll have handled everything. May not be pretty, but just knowing that, I mean, I don't know how I just, it just propelled me like, oh, of course, I'm not going to die from this bankruptcy. Like I, I will handle this, right? I don't know how to explain how freeing that was for me, but yeah. until you're dead, you'll have handled everything. And in, in, in the midst of thinking, I can't handle this, it, unless you literally die from that, you'll handle it. Like, and it's, it, for me, that was one thing with cancer, like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to handle this. And, and if it takes me, it takes me. But I, I mean, until it does, I can handle this. Yeah. Does well, that make sense? Total, it makes total sense. I appreciate you adding that at the end as yeah. a final comment. And, yeah. you know, um, love you. Uh, love you have too. a great time in New Zealand, uh, which you're off to in a couple of days. And yeah. uh, this podcast um, will be the first of what I hope to be hundreds. And it's been just nothing but a, a love, a joy, and a blessing yeah. to have you as my first guest. All right. Well, I'm, I'm very proud of you for walking through the door. Oh, thank you. I I I, I take that for all it's meant. And uh, yeah. to all you out there, thank you. This is the end of the first podcast.
Yep. The Other Side of Hell from Breakdown to Breakthrough. My guest has been Todd Musselman. I'm Mark Musselman, your host. I look forward to the next conversation. Have a great day. See you. This is your host, Mark Musselman. Thank you for joining this week's episode of The Other Side of Hell. Please subscribe and share and tune in next week for another great episode.